Welcome to the Balancing Act podcast. I, I'm Andy Tempty, as you know. Uh, today, we've got a very, very special guest on the show. My friend, my former colleague, and exam prep legend, John Polstein. Now, on the previous uh, podcast with Nick Black, we did The Crowd Goes Wild, but I'm pretty sure the crowd is going to go wild here as well. So we'll, uh, we'll do that joke again. Uh, I promise we'll, we'll, we'll never do that joke again. So we're, today we're going to deep dive into the topic of courage in the workplace, a subject that I'm certain John or JP, as he's known in Kaplan circles, is going to add significant value to as he's had a long and illustrious career in executive leadership and management. Uh, Back in episode 18, as you'll recall, Dan Strafford and I discussed what courage means in a business context from my perspective. And in this podcast, uh, you know, throughout, uh, throughout the podcast, we're, we're going to be talking about courage uh, periodically uh, as one of the more important human skills. Uh, we're, we're trying to retire the phrase soft skills but uh, one of those more important human uh, or behavioral skills in the workplace. Uh, so, so John, before we get into the topic at hand, uh, just let our listeners know about your journey. Thanks, Andy. It's great to be here and happy to uh, be, be part of this podcast. You know, I guess um, I'll start with my first job after business school when I was working at Viacom in the entertainment industry having thought that's what I wanted to do. And I, I worked hard to, to get into that industry only to discover after a couple of years that it was not a great fit for me personally. I think maybe it was not a great fit um, company-wise either. And a very formative experience happened there. I, I had occasion to talk to my boss's boss about an idea I had. And, and I'll never forget the words. She said to me, John, that's a very good idea but it's not your place to have ideas. And, and that really stuck with me. And literally like that afternoon, I got my resume together and said, this is not the place for me. And, and I remember making a, a sort of vow to myself that I ever got into a position of authority or, or leadership. I would always work hard to create a culture where people's perspectives were welcomed and, and solicited and that I, I worked, you know, to do everything I could to create an environment, you know, of participation and, and involvement. And, uh, you know, I like to think I was able to do that. You know, my journey at Kaplan started right after that. I, I got a job at Kaplan first in marketing, then in product development, then in field management. And, you know, fast forward over the course of 30 years, became the CEO along the way. And, ran the test prep division for the better part of 20 years. And it was a great journey. I, I wouldn't have expected to have been at one place that long, but as, as you know, Kaplan's a special place and it was uh, just a fantastic run for me there. And I, you know, still, still uh, have very, very warm feelings towards the organization and the people there. Yeah. To, today is going to be a bit of a love fest uh, in, in both of our experiences with Kaplan uh, have been uh, been fantastic. You know, my 22 years. Uh, how what what is your 20 plus? It was, it was north of 29. Uh, oh. I, I rounded up. I rounded up to 30 because it sounds so so nice. But it was uh, 29 and a half years. 
Yeah, yeah. If you, uh, I guess we're aligned there. If you take my uh, years with Carl uh, Swayzer before we sold to Kaplan, uh, that's uh, that's right at uh, little right at thirty years there. Uh, I, you know, I've got a question for you about your experience uh, at, at Kaplan, especially the early years. Uh, you know, what what did, did you run a uh, an, a test prep center or or a region? I did. You know, my, my first job was in the home office. I was a marketing director. And then I had an experience where I was in uh, our then CEO's office. Uh, and the guy that ran our Manhattan Center, which was the largest test prep center in the country, it was the flagship location, had just resigned. And there was this moment where Jonathan Greer, his CEO's name, was thinking, who could run our, our test prep center in Manhattan? And it was Honestly, if I had not been in the room at that time, I may not have been the candidate to do it. But it was this moment where he sort of looked at me, light bulbs went off, and you know, next thing I knew, I was running the Manhattan Center, uh, which was great. Until that point in my career, I had never really sort of managed an operation. I was always in a home office kind of role. And I really fell in love with the business when I was on the sort of front lines day to day working with staff, working with students, handing out, you know, tapes as we had back then, you know, cassette tapes that, that were the, the technology of choice. It was sort of, you know, cutting edge at, at the moment. This tells you how long ago it was. Um, but yeah, from there ran uh, areas and regions and, and territories. Yeah, I, you know, I think back to my, my time at Kaplan and uh, and just really uh, consolidate it down into creating these uh, these Yahoo moments uh, for for individuals. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in the classroom, looking students directly in the eye, imparting uh, information that will help them uh, achieve uh, an educational or career goal. What was it like in in that Manhattan Center? With uh, you know, just was it just a buzz? Uh, just it a was a real buzzy environment. It was a lot of fun. It was every day you'd go in and it was it was showtime. I mean, we'd open the gates and students would rush in and it was 12 hours of just, you know, nonstop activity and, you know, plenty of very colorful episodes with, you know, interesting service issues that came up. And but it was everything. I mean, you know, we had fires, we had floods, we had power outages, we had students giving birth, you know, and needing to get like, you know, the appropriate support there. But, you know, honestly, it was great getting to see students and, and watching their journeys from coming in and being kind of intimidated by the exams they were going to take to really gaining the confidence to know they would have mastery over the exams they would ultimately take. And, you know, I got to know some students obviously better than others, but it was it was a lot of fun. It was sort of seeing, you know, the the mission come to life every day in real time was super exciting. And, and particularly, I remember, you know, back then we usually started our classes at six, six at night and we'd have the whole staff ready and people would come in through the doors. And, you know, it was really just just an electric buzz when that kind of went off and it was, you know, went to to sort of full-on mode with our classrooms full every night and teachers doing the magic they do in the classroom. It was, it was really fun. Yeah. And I, and I, a lot of our listeners, uh, you know, the, this, this industry that we call education and it's very natural to us is, is such a special beast because you, it's both a service industry 
and it's a production and manufacturing industry. Uh, it's a very noble uh, profession, helping individuals achieve their educational and career goals. So I certainly uh, feel like I got with within the same four walls of of the institution of Kaplan that I that I was able to have multiple careers uh, and and touch just so many different parts of the management uh, and leadership canon, if you will. Uh, that that's what that's one of the things that I've recognized just over these last uh, really few weeks since uh, since since leaving the company. Yeah, it's funny. We used to say that we ran across between a university and a McDonald's and it was like delivering that higher ed experience with very high quality and fidelity, but trying to do it in a, a standardized way across the country, um, you know, with the operational kind of backbone that, that a, you know, a restaurant, a fast food chain, a retail chain has, which was a, a wonderful challenge because to your point, Andy, you had the, you know, the academic side. Um, and all the nerdy stuff that I know you and I both love. And then the operational side, which was just like running a good, strong, you know, business and, and the marriage of those two things together, uh, you know, plus other things over time, technology and innovation, you know, it was uh, exciting stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around your start at Kaplan as a marketing guy. Uh, but but we'll leave that for a, for, for, for a different conversation. Um, so let let's shift gears to the the topic at hand, which is uh, which is courage in the workplace, which is a human skill that is just absolutely essential in in my estimation for uh, for any kind of success uh, in in the world of work. Uh, but courage means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Most, uh, like myself, uh, initially correlated courage with some act of bravery or that you know conflict uh, had to be involved. And to some degree, that uh, that's true. Uh, what's your take on courage in the workplace? And w- what's your definition of how courage applies in the world of work? Yeah. And, you know, I've heard you talk about this and I agree. There's sort of that heroic courage of, you know, military personnel or folks on the front line, which is real bravery, people that put themselves in harm's way every day to serve others. Uh, There's real kind of nobility there. Um, You know, there's another kind of courage, which I would call kind of everyday courage. When you think about people that face trying circumstances in life, you know, a a chronic illness or caring for a sick parent or child and just, you know, the ability to confront everyday difficulties and just kind of show up every day, you know, that that requires certain kind of courage. Um, You talked about, you know, the the burning car, someone saving, you know, a motor that literally happened to a friend of mine who went um, and, and pulled someone out of a car that was about to explode caught fire. He saved this, this motorist's life. He was the guy on television that got interviewed, you know, on the local news and just said, oh, shucks, you know, it's, it's nothing that anybody wouldn't have done. Um, but that sort of, you know, situational courage. I think in, in a business context, there's what I would call behavioral courage. It, it's, you know, the ability to act in a way that sometimes is, um, you know, not going to be popular or easy. Uh, disagreeing with a boss, um, taking a, 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 a you know 
not confrontational, but oppositional point of view. If, if the whole conversation in a room is going one way and you have the courage to speak up and say, well, you know, I disagree. What about this? You know, or calling out uh, bad behavior or, you know, things that can be better. It, it's sort of, you know, the willingness and ability and strength of, of you know, purpose to, to stand up and, you know, take a position, take a stand, fight for what you believe in or advocate for what you believe in, even when that's unpopular or brings you some, some kind of personal anxiety, you know, that that's sort of a courageous act in the workplace. And you, you don't see as much of it as you'd like, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, I really uh, relying or leaning on our experience at, at Kaplan. Uh, one of the reasons why I stayed as long as I did was, uh, you know, our our boss, uh, Andy Rosen, uh, would routinely come into into a meeting and say, hey, we're going to talk about some uh, some really serious stuff today. And if there's something that you can't go home and tell your mom or your grandma about, then I, I want to know about it. And and that just really uh, that just really stuck with me and and gave me the personal permission, if you will, to lean in uh, and become more courageous uh, in 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 the work in the workplace that I spent most of my career in uh, at Kaplan. So I. I, 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 to, I, to, I totally agree. Yeah. And, you know, it, it is incumbent upon leaders to create that environment. I go back to the, the story at, at Viacom, that old supervisor, you know, she was not creating <laughs> an, an environment that really invited any, any sort of, you know, real talk. And, and I think I, I've seen you do this extraordinarily well. And I think great leaders do it, you know, somewhat naturally, but creating an environment where um, you, you sort of invite that, that courage and invite that, uh, different point of view to, to come out and be part of the conversation. You need to cultivate that. And, and I think great companies do that and great leaders do that. Yeah, that was one of my uh, biggest aha moments in, in my career that I wasn't uh, creating that environment when uh, I was told that, hey, Andy, did, did you really know that there's this phrase that goes around the office that's called Andy said that nothing happens without an Andy said uh, attached to mm -hmm. it. And that that was a that was a real jarring. Uh, I didn't want that. I, I didn't want that environment and how I had kind of subconsciously uh, created that environment where nothing could happen without without my stamp of approval somehow uh, that that precluded that kind of courage that we're talking about. And I'm sure you've had this experience where you are in a meeting and you ask for people's perspective and they, you know, Billy, what do you think? And, and you get the look where they're trying to read what they think you want them to say, or, <laughs> you know, they just say, well, what do you think? Or they, they somehow don't, you know, take a, a position and, you know, that's, that's not helpful. I mean, when you're asking someone for their perspective, you, you want that perspective. It's, it's valuable to you and you want to solicit it. And, and uh, again, you, you need to create a culture that enables that and engenders that. Yeah. It, I, a word of advice for our listeners. Um, when, when you are in that position uh, in that conference room or in that meeting and you see 
uh, you ask that tough question and you see your your boss get a contorted look on his or her face, um, that's just human behavior. That that's 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 human nature. You know, none of us love to be challenged necessarily. And it's courageous to recognize that that is human nature, that you're likely going to see that contorted, uh, the contorted look on their face, but to, to, to power through that and, uh, and, and believe and trust that, uh, that you're going to, that you're going to be heard, uh, that it, it was, it was difficult for me to, uh, to get, to get past that er- earlier in my, in my career. Um, so, you know, John, you've, you've led and influenced thousands and thousands of people over your career, you know, with, without naming any names, what's the most courageous thing that you've seen one of your people do during your tenure as a leader? Um, you know, surprisingly enough, it's sometimes the simple acts. And, and I remember a, a young guy coming forward. Uh, he had been out drinking with colleagues and some inappropriate stuff happened. This, this were not like senior level folks, but, um, you know, something that in, in this young man's mind crossed a line and he called out a friend. It was not a supervisor. It was not, you know, someone in a position of authority. It was a, a coworker, a friend, a, a pal. And, and he, you know, didn't uh, allow himself to be a bystander. He came forward and said, hey, you know, person X uh, did, did something to person Y that you got to know about and, and make sure is not tolerated. And, and I always was very impressed because, you know, it was not an anonymous thing. It was not, you know, someone, you know, that he didn't have a relationship with. It was it was a friendship that he was, you know, putting on the line to do the right thing. And I'm glad he did because, you know, as, as managers, you don't always see everything that's going on. And it, it could have been misconstrued to be something that, you know, the company tolerated if we had never heard about it. And this, this young man came forward, jeopardized his relationship with a friend to do the right thing. And that, that always really stood out for me. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think a lot of folks uh, kind of forget that leaders and managers almost by definition can't know everything that's going on, uh, going on around them. And we as leaders, we rely on the the courage of, of the people that are working with us. I, I like that that word with versus for that, uh, you know, we're all stewards of the business and to, to have true stewardship, we also need to be courageous, uh, and, uh, and, and bring things to light that, that need to come to the surface. So thank, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so looking back at your own personal experience, what's the most courageous thing that you've had to do? Um, there, there are a couple of examples that come to mind. One was a, an interpersonal um, example, I guess, to, to call it that. Um, a, a person, pretty senior person, and this is, you know, going back a few years, but I was already in a senior position. This uh, woman was also in a senior position. We always enjoyed a very good relationship with one another. And, you know, there was a, an instance in which she lied to me. 
and just I I knew she lied to me. I didn't know why, but she just patently said something to me that was untrue. And I called her on it. And it was it was difficult to to call her on it. Um, but it was the right thing. And she she copped to it. She apologized. She tried to, you know, give me some rationale for why. But she ultimately said, I shouldn't have done it. It was wrong. Thank you for calling me on it. Um, but that was a liberating experience for me. And, and I've heard you talk about this on previous podcasts, Andy, that, you know, once you get comfortable getting uncomfortable, <laughs> confronting issues, kind of boldly going into those places that are easier to avoid, it actually becomes easier to do the next time and the time after that. And, and you realize um, it's creating truth. It's creating kind of real real talk and it, it gets easier and it's important and, and it, it filters down through the organization. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really glad I did confront her because it would have been very easy to just, you know, put it off to the side, let my relationship with her deteriorate, not trust her in the future and, you know, could have led to a whole spin out of implications, but by confronting it in the moment, it, it sort of had a happy ending and an empowering moment for me personally and professionally. Uh, so that was one example. I guess the other, and you know, this is, I think, going to the heart of, you know, one of the things you wanted to talk about. Uh, there was a, I, I talked earlier about my career as a center director and as a, a regional director. Going back, this is now 2008, 2009, we radically revisited the whole operating model for Kaplan Test Prep. We had had 163 centers. Uh, those centers were kind of individually run, largely autonomous, and, and really the sort of unit of analysis in Kaplan Test Prep at that time was the local center. And we realized that technology change was coming down the pike and tried to get in front of those, those changes and uh, decommission our centers, move to an online model, uh, take what had been the, a very successful footprint for, for Kaplan for many, many, many years and get it into a, a more modern operating footprint. And, and that took a lot of courage because you were sort of flying into the unknown. Uh, there were a lot of doubters. There were a lot of naysayers. There was a lot of just, you know, hard work. Um, it required letting go of, at that time, hundreds of, of people, which was the first time that I had sort of massive layoffs like that um, at, at, at Kaplan, which was very difficult. But it was the right thing to do. And, you know, as hard as that period was of taking write-offs and changing the footprint and getting a, a whole new system of running test prep in place, it, it was important and it was right, but it, it took some real courage. I, I think personally for me, that was probably the most, you know, courageous act I needed to take as a, a leader my years here. And, you know, one footnote to that, it involved getting comfortable with a remote workforce because we no longer had local centers where people were working. And, and, you know, what was interesting during Corona, when a lot of companies were just grappling with how do you handle a remote workforce, that part was easy for us. There were a lot of other challenges, yep. uh, you know, and, and they're still ongoing, but just like the, the remote part, we, we'd been operating that way for 10 years. So that was kind of an interesting, it made me feel good that at least, you know, one, one place we could check the box and say we were ahead of the curve on. 
Yeah, I, I, I love both examples. Uh, the first one really resonates with me. And I would just remind our listeners that, you know, true learning, you know, tying it all back to our role as educators, true learning requires uh, some degree of uncomfortability. It, it requires you to challenge yourself, put you in a put yourself in a position where where you might not feel uh, the the best. Uh, but then there's uh, the role of then the educator is to help uh, provide a provide a pathway and, uh, and an environment for, uh, for that personal growth. And your example of, of uh, screwing up the courage to do the right thing and might, you know, you might have lost all your deodorant right in that, <laughs> in that moment, you know, the next time it does become a, a little easier and a little easier, the trick is to not lose your humanity as uh, as uh, being courageous gets uh, gets easier and easier and easier uh, because it's it's uh, then then you can tip over to the other side which is cold crass uh, you know not having that uh, that 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 you know that uh, that humanity understanding that everything is a two way street so you know thank thank you so much for that. Um, What's next for John uh, Polstein? And uh, and and I'd really love it if you could. You, you are you are the king of sage advice. I would just <laughs> love it if you could uh, leave our listeners with one piece of John Polstein sage advice. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll try first on the what's next. Um, that that's a little bit of a an open question for me at the moment. Uh, you know, I just uh, hung up the number two pencil. Uh, pretty recently, so I'm, I'm getting acclimated to a new rhythm. Uh, I, I do know that I enjoy um, sharing, you know, some accumulated wisdom, and and I've always thought it's sort of funny that you you know build a, a repertoire of relationships and contacts and and experience and wisdom, you know, through your career, and then just when you sort of have, in some ways, as much to give as ever you know, it's just the, the clock runs out and it's time for you to do something else. So, you know, sharing my perspectives and, and helping people, you know, get up their own learning curve in some way, shape or form, you know, I'm, I'm interested in figuring out how to, how to do that. Uh, and at the same time, enjoying, you know, more downtime and, you know, some creative pursuits and maybe try, try my hand at writing in the way that Dr. Andy Tempty has, that, that has some appeal. Um, you know, in the way of advice, uh, I'll pass along a piece of advice a professor at business school shared. And, and I remember, and I didn't even fully appreciate it at the time, but he said, beware of anonymity in any form. And, you know, it, it's come to you know mean for me that you should stand up and put your name against things. So we talked about this a little earlier in the, in the podcast, but, you know, the, the willingness to kind of... Um, Put your name against things and say, I have a point of view. I'm not uh, going to sort of fall away to someone else's perspective. You know, be be yourself and have the courage of your convictions and don't shy away from from standing out. And even if that sometimes is uncomfortable, as we've discussed, or, you know, potentially puts you in, in what you think may be bad stead. Being true to yourself and, and owning that, owning your own convictions, owning your own perspectives, owning your own points of view, 
I think that is really important and ultimately serves one well in the workplace. Well, you, you've done it again. Uh, you knock, uh, for, for our listeners, uh, I'm pretty confident that John is, uh, is a great, is a, is a big baseball fan. So, uh, he, he knocked it out of the park there as, uh, as usual. Uh, John, I want to thank you for, uh, two decades of working together, uh, all the things that you taught me uh, dur- during our time together at Kaplan. I definitely, you know, we will definitely be staying in touch. Uh, I'd like to thank our, our listeners for tuning in. Uh, we've had John Polstein on the show We're talking about courage. Uh, and uh, this is the Balancing Act podcast. You can find it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Sprecher and everywhere else uh, you, you get your podcasts. And uh, tune, tune in uh, next week for, for our next episode. Thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Andy.